This is Quotations, a podcast about words, written and spoken throughout history. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, we shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. No matter where you're from, your dreams are valid. The Pale Blue Dot, the only home we've ever known. Hello and welcome to Quotations. I'm Matthew Monroe. Here's today's quote. Quote, To be rational, we must know when to override our default thinking. Then we must do it. Knowing when to override involves intelligence and knowledge, but the will or motivation to do so is another thing altogether. That requires more than critical thinking. More than problem-solving ability. It requires us to hold our current worldview in a kind of escrow while we consider an alternative view in an open-minded fashion. End quote. Those are the words of author, science educator, and skeptic Barbara Drescher. Drescher taught quantitative and cognitive psychology at Cal State and has published numerous articles in professional journals as well as for Skeptic.com. She's a Phi Kappa Phi scholar and served as a National Science Foundation Fellow. Other notable names that have been National Science Foundation Fellows include Sergey Brin, who is the co-founder of Google, Stephen Chu, former U.S. Secretary of Energy, and Stephen Levitt, who's a professor and co-author of the world-famous Freakonomics book. And Drescher's quote for today comes from an article published on Skeptic.com back in 2014. And I'll put a link in the show notes for you so you can take a look at it yourself. And it's entitled, Why Smart People Are Not Always Rational. And I'm sure you can imagine why when this popped up in my feed, whoever knows how many years ago, it caught my eye immediately. Because, as gripping titles often do, it grabs you and says, Hey, these are two things that you might think are always correlated. But I'm here to tell you, and this article is here to tell you, that that's not the case. And I'll tell you it is a quick read, and it's fascinatingly thought-provoking. Just the kind of stuff that I like to bring to you. And in the article, Drescher explores how extremely smart people can fall victim to relatively simple rational failings, as in the case of Paul Frampton. Unless you're really wired into particle physics news, or follow the faculty of UNC Chapel Hill closely, I guess former faculty in this case, you may not know his story. In short, he was a distinguished physicist who, in 2012, was caught trying to smuggle cocaine from Argentina through the airport as a result of a romance scheme, or what's often called a honeypot scheme. This is not rational behavior, right? This is Drescher's point. There's no reason an accomplished physicist should do such a thing. But here we are. And as Drescher puts it elsewhere in the article, she says, quote, We expect people who are smart in one way to be smart in every way. But that's not quite how intelligence works, end quote. And I can see you nodding your head in agreement, maybe even with a little bit of an eye roll as you imagine the exact person that you know who's like this. We all know someone like this. And if you can't identify someone who's like this, it could be you. And don't think that we are immune from such naivete. We're not. Drescher addresses this too later when she says, We all believe that we are rational. We all think that our choices and actions are the result of good thought processes. We recognize that human beings are naturally irrational. But we all seem to think that human beings means other people. End quote. And I hate to ruin your and my self-images, but we are those irrational people. I know, I know, it's shocking, but it's true. There are doubtlessly examples of your own irrational and potentially embarrassing behaviors you have exhibited over the years. I'll give you an example of my own. I get annoyed far too easily at other drivers on the road. 
I often yell obscenities, even. Yep, me, your podcast host. I yell at people on the road. Perhaps you do too. And my wife has pointed this out to me many times. She calls me impatient. But that's because she's nicer than I deserve. Really, I'm a jerk behind the wheel, sometimes. And this is irrational. I know that everyone has a story behind the wheel of their own car. Some are late for appointments, for work, or for pickups, etc. I know that. I myself also know that I justify my own sometimes hurried and inconsiderate driving when I have something that is just too important to be kind as I change lanes. I also know that I have been extended countless, curseless, and honkless graces by other drivers on the road when I'm like this. Were I rational when I ought to be, I'd let this permeate my driving and chill the hell out. Believe me, I'm working on this, I swear. And this is not to give you or I an excuse for irrational behavior, but rather to highlight that we all do it too. All of us. All the time. Now granted, my yelling at other cars is not harmful directly, except perhaps to my wife's ears, but other irrationalities are. See Dr. Frampton above. That's the kind of irrationality that Dr. Drescher is talking about here. But oftentimes, this is deeper than that. This is the result of what Drescher calls default thinking. I must, as that irrational, crazy driver that I can sometimes be, get some weird dopamine hit when I yell at other drivers. I'm sure. And it's become my default. And as I mentioned, I have to work at it not to do it. And that's embarrassing, and I know that. But this default thinking is precisely what we must overcome to be more rational and better employ our intelligence in whatever measure we possess it. To this end, Drescher also says this spot-on little sentence in her paper. She says, quote, Overriding default thinking requires energy, and human beings are natural cognitive misers. End quote. Not only is cognitive misers a great term, it's also a great band name. Can you imagine? Please welcome to the stage, cognitive misers. Anyway. All joking aside, there's a lot of wisdom in this article, and having this shortcoming pointed out can be, and perhaps is, galling to you. And that's okay. I've galled before and I'll gall again. It's what we're here for. We all have this shortcoming. We all act irrationally. We all know things and do things that contradict those things that we know in spite of the fact that we know them. And now that you know, and hopefully accept, that you are sometimes irrational, as again, we all are, and that irrationality often stems from default thinking, let me again read Drescher's quote that is the subject of today's episode so that it's fresh in your mind. Quote, To be rational, we must know when to override our default thinking. Then we must do it. Knowing when to override involves intelligence and knowledge, but the will or motivation to do so is another thing altogether. That requires more than critical thinking, more than problem-solving ability. It requires us to hold our current worldview in a kind of escrow while we consider an alternative view in an open-minded fashion, end quote. And what I love about quotes like Drescher's here and many others that I've done on the show over the years is that while the author or speaker points out an error, they also come with a solution. In this case, when Drescher says that we are irrational and victims of our own often poor default thinking, she then immediately follows it with three things. One, that we should override default thinking using our intelligence and knowledge. And I suspect knowledge of ourselves is what she means here. Two, that we should leverage our will and motivation to do so. And I assume that since you're here and you're listening to this, you have this will. If not, I encourage you to find it. And three, and I love this one a lot, 
to hold our current worldview in escrow as we consider an alternative. And that analogy is just gold, right? The image that it evokes in my mind, for those that are not familiar with escrow and buying a house, the idea here is that you place a certain amount of money in an independent third party's responsibility, such that both parties are beholden to the contract. If one party violates, the other receives the money. That's the idea here. So what this evokes in my head is the idea of reaching into my own skull and grabbing whatever default worldview I have on a given topic, right? And then I take that idea or that view and I extend my arm at full length out in front of me and I hold it away from that very same skull that contains the very same brain from which it came, still fully owning those views, but able at a moment's notice to dump them on the ground if the work I'm letting my mind do reveals that I was wrong. And that is worldview escrow to me, and an image I intend to keep with me. Perhaps you have a better one. Feel free to share. And I don't know, and I don't understand everything. In fact, I truly know deeply very few things. Maybe I know more than I give myself credit, but I suspect not. The world is very complicated, and specific areas very quickly outstretch my understanding. That said, I know, therefore, that there is room to improve, to grow, to change, and to adapt. I have that knowledge, and I think I have the will to change. Now, and all the time really, I must hold my worldview at risk, in escrow, as Drescher would say, and interrogate my thinking, especially my default thinking, to improve it. So this week's challenge is pretty self-evident. First, identify your default ways of thinking. What are the things that you think you know and don't give a lot of thought to? Probably a good way to identify what things are default are the things you think very little about, but simultaneously think you know a lot about. The overlap of those two circles in the Venn diagram probably contains things that are considered default thinking and are therefore worth considering for this exercise. Next, determine if you have the motivation to question them, which is a big if considering our cognitively miser-like tendencies. And finally, hold them in escrow, ready to be lost at a moment's notice while you consider, with an open mind, alternative points of view. This seems to be a topic that keeps coming up on this show, and I don't know if that's indicative of where my mind has been over the last six months or so, but I feel like challenging our worldviews continues to pop up in my mind, and I keep going back to quotes about challenging that worldview. I don't know, there's probably a psychologist out there who maybe could dig into that and figure out what it is that's driving me to lean on these types of quotes recently. And perhaps you're tired of it, maybe we'll move on and do something else. But these are good words, these are good challenges. And as long as they keep coming back up, and as long as they keep seeming interesting to me, I think I'm going to keep bringing them to you. Because if I'm struggling with it as much as I seem to be, the pathology of making a podcast, so to speak, then maybe you are too. Maybe the idea of challenging your worldview is scary. I know it is for me. How could it not be? Especially if you've spent a lot of time and a lot of effort defending positions that you have. Only to then, now that you've heard this episode or one of the other ones recently about challenging your worldview, taken those worldviews and held them at arm's length and then found out you were wrong. That's horrifying. Especially if you've chastised others. Imagine, in the new year 2023, you go through this exercise only to find out that the thing that you went home over the holidays and beat your family about the head about, certain as you could possibly be, 
in the validity of your points, only to find out that ultimately you were wrong upon interrogation. That sucks, and that's hard. But ultimately, it's the right thing to do, because you walk away from a bad idea, a wrong worldview, and come up with a new one and a better one, and improve as a person. So this week, will you do those three things? Will you identify your default ways of thinking? Will you identify inside yourself the motivation to change them? And then, will you actually hold them in escrow as you consider those alternative points of view? And again, you may always find yourself back where you started. Nope, I've interrogated that position, and it's correct. But at least you did the work. As you're driving in the car or you find yourself with a free moment, will you hold your ideas in escrow and consider other things? I will, and I think you should too. Until next time, I'm Matthew Monroe. This is Quotations, and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app or visit me at quotationspod.com to download and listen. Please also take a moment to recommend the podcast to a friend. That's a huge help. You can tweet at me at quotationspod. Send me an email to quotationspod at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at quotationspod or join the conversation on Facebook at quotationspod. I look forward to hearing from you. Welcome your feedback. And thanks as always for listening.